Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of the Nordic Football Podcast in 2022. My name is Steve Wiss and I hope you're all keeping well. For you regular listeners, I know we've been keeping you waiting a bit for this first episode of the new year, but here it is. And for anyone new, welcome on board. It's nice to have you here. So for this first episode of 2022, unfortunately Jonathan for Dugba is not going to be a part of this episode, he's going to be back next week where we and him will have a good catch up uh, with a loads of general overall stuff. But for this edition, it's more we're looking ahead to the Europa Conference League game between Celtic and Buda Glimpse. And to help me do that, I've got a couple of uh, special guests on the show. We start off with uh, Tino from the Celtic Exchange podcast. We felt we needed to get a bit of a Celtic angle into into this upcoming match to give you a great insight into uh, the Scottish uh, league leaders and then after that we've got a section on Buda Glimpse I'm joined by uh, analyst Chris Hilliam as we divulge into the Buda Glimpse uh, off-season transfer so far how they're shaping up ahead of this uh, Europa Conference League tie we look into uh, some key stats of uh, players that have departed and uh, on uh, also some new guys into the squad and how we see this uh, the upcoming two-legged tie against Celtic going so yeah got two good guests for this episode starting with the Celtic exchange then Chris Hilliam and uh, it's about an hour long so hope you all enjoy it and uh, I'll take it away now with the first guest I'm delighted to say joining us as a guest on this episode of the Nordic Football Podcast is Tino from the Celtic Exchange Podcast. Uh, thanks very much, Tino, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Hope you're well. Yeah, doing well, Stephen. Uh, thanks for having us on. Looking forward to the chat. Yeah, it's um, Celtic. I mean, the Norway against Scotland has happened a few times in the last five years. Um, there was It seemed like Rosenborg played Celtic every season. Yeah. Um, and now we've got something different on the cards. And uh, Budaglimp against uh, Celtic in this Europa Conference League over over two legs. So Celtic Football Club, Ventino. They're uh, what 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 sort of side are you uh, at the moment? Obviously, you've got a new manager this season. Um, just an overview: how whereabouts do you think you are in terms of the type of football we're going to see from Celtic? Yeah, definitely, Steve. So I mean, traditionally Celtic have always been associated with playing, you know, good football and playing football the right way and you know quite swashbuckling in their style and you know quite attacking and it's you know that's become really evident again under Ange Postacoglu we had a really tough season last year I'm not sure how closely yourself or your listeners might have followed that but we had a real tough season last year under Neil Lennon it was time for a change time to freshen up and you know cue Ange Postacoglu in the summer again I don't know how familiar you guys are with his name we certainly weren't when he was appointed back in June but we certainly know all about him now He's brought a, just a really, really exciting uh, and attacking brand of football. Uh, but more importantly, and, and essentially, he's brought the players to do that as well. He signed something in the region of 12, maybe 14 players between the summer transfer window and the, the recent winter one. And we've got some real flair in the team. You know, players like Kyogo up top, Jota on the wing. Um, you know, we've got a centre-half from Spurs, uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers. We've got real... You know, real talented guys throughout the team, and it's it's made for a really exciting, you know, first six months or so under Ange. So long may that continue. Yeah, I actually had to check out the pronunciation of him before uh, I recorded this section because yeah. uh, normally I have to check out my pr- pronunciations for the Scandinavian players and teams. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's certainly a different one. I've noticed uh, in terms of tactically, he's been uh, a flat back four the whole season. Yeah, seems four two three one, but in recent times. So this is according to transfer mark four three three sort of attacking system. So it seems very consistent in that way. Is there a certain? It sounds like it's quite an attacking style. Is is that true? Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, and he would tell you that himself. So it's effectively four three three, and basically throughout the spine of the team. So your two centre halves, your your deep line centre mid, so your number six and your centre forward, they don't move. You know, they're the spine of the team, and they stay fairly rigid in the central area of the park. However, everyone else does move and then some. He plays with, you know, what he calls inverted fullbacks. And again, some guys will be, you know, quite au fait with, you know, that tactical approach. But our right and left back very quickly form part of the midfield. And, you know, when we're on the attack, they help, you know, at times play a pivotal role in that. Uh, the front three between the two wingers and the, and the central forward, 
they've got license to be as creative as they want and you know it's times they'll interchange and different things but there's just a lot going on within the system but you know absolutely it's all geared towards attacking football and now and then we defend but it's not a it's not a huge part of Celtic at this moment in time I mean, I'm just looking back at your results and since the 30th of September you've actually won 23 of your last 26 games in all competitions mm -hmm. and the only only defeat in that spell was was by Leverkusen so you know you've um I just want to take you back to that Europa League group stage and yeah. you finish on nine points just one off the qualification now this this conference league is sort of it splits opinion about you know how how serious teams take it and what's the Celtic perspective are you kind of are you excited are you looking forward to it's a competition you can win or are you a little bit sort of embarrassed to be in it or what's the what's the general uh, jive up there yeah i mean i think it, i think it's a very fair question there obviously um you know it's a brand new competition celtic have got a very um strong and a very unique relationship with european football so obviously we were you know the first british team to win the european cup way way back in 1967 but we've had some huge nights you know relative recent times we beat barcelona back in 2012 in the champions league but we've not made the Champions League for the last few seasons now. We, we did get there a couple of times under Brendan Rodgers, but that's drifted in the last two to three seasons. Um, so then obviously you step into the Europa, which is deemed the second tier. And now that we've fallen out of that, we've dropped into what I suppose is the third tier of European football. I don't think Celtic and Celtic fans, there's certainly no snobbery. You know, we don't feel we're you know, above the Conference League or anything like that. And I think... We are where we are at this moment in time, you know, as are Bodo Glimt, as are Leicester, as are Roma and various other sides. This is where we're at just now, but I do very much believe that Celtic are a team on the up again, on the ascendancy under Ange. So the winner of the Scottish League, for example, this season, the Scottish Premiership gets instant access to the, the Champions League. So there's a real incentive there to, you know, do what we need to do domestically to get back to that top table. But I would say at this moment in time, you know, right now, Celtic probably are a Europa League side, but there's certainly no snobbery. We're looking forward to the challenge of the, the conference and what that brings. Do you think your priority is, is then on the league, really? And, and is, this, is Europe looked at as a distraction or are you kind of focusing hard on Budaglimt as well? Yeah, it would depend on what fans you ask. So having lost the league last year, a lot of fans would say the domestic stuff is the be-all and end-all this season, you know, reclaiming the Scottish title. I'm a wee bit different. I think that is hugely important, and that is definitely the number one target, of course. But as I say, we've you know we've always had an eye on Europe, and definitely wouldn't see it as a distraction. I think a lot of fans are, are are quite excited. You know, we'll be there in the stadium next Thursday for this one, and we're excited to see how far we can go. Because taking a look at the teams that are in it as well, Leicester are favourites, and I don't think Leicester are great at this moment in time. For mm -hmm. example, Roma are in there, and I know Bodo beat Roma six one. At, you know, at some stage in the Europa League tournament there. I, I think maybe uh, Mourinho rested some players, but 6-1 is 6-1. Um, so there, there's certainly nothing to be afraid of. We've played AZ, AZ Alkmaar and beat them this year. I suppose the other side of it is Mitchelland have beat us and they're still in the tournament. So there, there's interesting teams that make up, the, you know, the remainder of the Conference League, but nobody that Celtic should be af afraid of. And maybe Bodo Glimt feel the same. I know they've lost some players there in the window, but maybe they see this as a, an opportunity of sorts as well. No, I need to ask you about some of your players, uh, Tino. And um, whenever I hear uh, sort of Celtic in the news recently, um, I kind of hear this sort of Japanese influence um, yeah. at uh, Arkhead. And I know uh, Ange Postatoglu uh, did come from uh, a Japanese club, uh, but um, you certainly got two or three exciting Japanese players uh, on board. Uh, talk me through those. Yeah, so so Ange came to us directly from uh, Yokohama F Marinos, who, who he'd managed for, I think, two to three seasons out there. Um, he clearly got to know the league during that time and he's he's identified some some serious talent. So the, the first player they brought in or one of his first signings was Kyogo Furahashi. Unfortunately, he's injured at this moment in time. He's got a, a hamstring issue at the moment. He is an absolute superstar. Um, I think he's 26 years of age. Uh, he's Celtic's top scorer at the moment. He's got 16 goals all in all. And he's a joy to watch. He won the League Cup final for us back in December. Uh, we won 2-1 against Hibs here. And we were 1-0 down and Kyogo scored a quick-fire double and it, it showed him off in, in all his glory. If you, if you get a chance to check out the goals, it's it's well worth doing. So so he's, he was the first uh, Japanese signing, you know, and he's he's a fan's favourite instantly. He is he is top, top man. But since then, uh, as soon as the, sorry, the, the winter transfer window opened there uh, not long ago, and made a, a, a swoop for three guys in one. So we signed... 
let me get all my pronunciations right, but <laughs> Rio Hatate came in, uh, Daisen Maeda, and Yosuke Idaguchi, or Yosuke Idaguchi. So three different players from different clubs in Japan. Daisen Maeda uh, played for Angie's club at Yokohama Marinos. The other two have come from different teams. And Rio Hatate in particular has hit the ground running and then some. He scored two goals last week against Rangers. He scored the week before against Hearts. He was man of the match on his debut. And he's been just as exciting uh, as Kyogo has been, uh, although he plays in a deeper position. He's kind of hovers around about that number eight, number 10 position in the midfield. Uh, Maeda's taken a wee bit more time to find his feet. He's had a couple of goals, but he's not quite sprung to life in the way that Kyogo done. And Idiguchi, unfortunately, has been injured, looking to get him back this weekend. But they've all had a, an impact to varying degrees, but Kyogo and Hatate are very, very exciting players. Yeah, I'm just looking through your squad now. It does seem like you've got a few sort of injuries, that some long-term as well. Mm. But, uh, I mean, for this, um, for these two ties against Budiglin, presuming everyone gets through the weekend and the first leg, who would you say is going to be, you say, your most important, your key two or three players over these three legs, two legs? Yeah, it, it, crucial to everything Celtic do at this moment in time is the captain. So, Callum McGregor is uh, a captain and he would traditionally play in that number six role. He's Celtic born and bred. He's been at the club since he was something like eight years of age. He's come right through the academy. He's won, you know, trebles and, and all sorts of success under Brendan Rodgers and, and various managers. And he now finds himself, as of this season, captain of the club. He's the real pivot for Celtic. He makes things tick and he sets the tempo and he's very much the leader in the dressing room. So he's crucial, uh, you know, from a, you know, a central point of view and a, and a team point of view. Beyond that, uh, you know, one of the key players this season has been Jota, so Portuguese winger, um, young guy on loan from Benfica. Celtic fans are seriously hopeful we can sign him on a permanent deal and indications are that, that that's got a good chance of happening. He'll come in off the, the left-hand side, so he plays up front on the left-hand side. And on the other wing, uh, there's a, a young winger called Lee Labada. He came in from an Israeli club. He's only 20 years of age, but so far I think he's had 25 goal contributions for the season. That's made up of 14 goals and 11 assists. And he's been a real revelation as well. So there is threats in all of the front six positions for Celtic from that you know, pivot from Callum McGregor right up to the centre forward. But lots of variety in what we do and lots of key players there for us. As a club, you actually have a history of having a few Scandinavian players down the years. Yeah. There's always seems someone. And a guy that caught my eye is Carl Starfeld. Who, yeah, that's um, uh, ex, uh, he came actually through the Brummapoiken Youth uh, Academy in uh, near Stockholm. There, mm -hmm. the FK He signed him two or three years ago. I mean, he looks like he's been uh, a regular for you this season. How how's he been at Celtic Park? Yeah, it's Carl Starfeld's been an interesting one. So he came in. So his route to Celtic was via Ruben Kazan in Russia, uh, and we signed him in the summer amongst you know the other kind of ten players that came in uh, immediately. He's He's taken a bit of time to settle. He's been the subject, actually, of much speculation, either through the mainstream media here in Scotland or on a lot of the podcasts. And, and we're no different. We've had our discussions. Some of us you know, are, are huge fans. Some are still a bit unconvinced. Um, however, I think at the moment you find them in a really solid run of form. Celtic have the best defensive record in the league. Uh, I think we've conceded 15 from 26 games, I think it is. Um, we've only conceded two league goals at home all season. And Carl Starfelt has, has played a huge part in that. That's good to hear. Um, as I said, it certainly caught my eye that he'd, um, he'd been at the there regularly. And uh, yeah, we like to keep track on sort of uh, players that move abroad from uh, from Norway and Sweden. So, yeah, yeah Celtic part then. There's, there's often these reputations in football of, uh, you know, they say Anfield on a European night. And you kind of yeah. hear that Celtic Park on a European night yeah. is a thing. Yeah. And... Um, I don't know if, even if you've had the chance for that this season, if you've had like crowd restrictions. But uh, I mean, are you, is there, do you think there'll be a good uh, crowding for the for the Buda Glint game? Yeah, it won't be far off a full house yeah. uh, on Thursday. So that's, you know, 60,000 fans. Celtic Park on a European night or even any sort of midweek night is, is something special. Again, I would encourage anyone listening here just now to check out the footage from last Wednesday night's game against Rangers. Celtic winning that one 3 now. The... The atmosphere that's generated inside Celtic Park by the fans alone is spectacular. But on a dark night, when the floodlights are on, Celtic have got um, what's known locally as the disco light. Celtic spent a, you know, a few million pounds of investment to get this fantastic light show in operation at Celtic Park. And it was mocked at the time because we weren't doing so well on the park, but, but the lights looked great. 
at this moment in time, we're doing both. But the um, the show, the spectacle at Celtic Park on a you know a, a dark kind of wintry evening, when the you know the the, the sound systems in full play and the, and the atmosphere is a bit of a frenzy, it, it's something to behold. And as I say, you know, catch the footage of that one from last week, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But it'll be equally um, exciting on Thursday. You know, it might be kind of a notch or two down from a Celtic Rangers game, of course, but the atmosphere will be you know really something special again as soon as Bodo Glimt. Uh, come calling on Thursday night. How 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 cold does it get in um, in sort of Glasgow area? Because the the second leg, um, it could be played in rather extreme uh, conditions, potentially minus seven, minus eight degrees. Mm. Do you think your boys will be uh, will be up for that and embrace it? Yeah, a lot of the guys will be used to it. You know, I, I know it can be quite severe there in, in different parts of Scandinavia. It, it's it's pretty uh, the weather's pretty sharp here at the best of times, and I include summer in that. <laughs> so yeah, I think the guys will be be used to it. And then some Carl Starfelt that you mentioned, he likes a he likes a pair of gloves. He's fond of the gloves, so he might have them on for the the away tie. But yeah, there's some adverse weather, and then some here in Scotland. So I'm sure that won't be too big a challenge. What I do think might be a challenge, and maybe you can tell me more about it, Steve, is the fact that Bodo play on a an artificial surface. If I'm if I'm correct, yes. that. Mm. and it's quite a small stadium around about eight thousand. There is is it the is it the Aspamira? Is that the the correct yeah. pronunciation? Um, so quite a small stadium and a difficult surface to play on. There's a couple of clubs here in the top flight in Scotland that play on the artificial surfaces, and generally speaking, they're not of high quality, and Celtic don't generally play well on that, so that could be a factor come the away leg. Yeah, I, I actually prefer the artificial surfaces in, in Norway. Right. I think the be better football gets played on them, mm. and um, it might be, I don't know whether it's a Scandinavian thing, but there are some pretty good artificial surfaces yeah as compared to what i've seen in other parts of the world and it, you know they have to have it there because they wouldn't be able, the only other way they'd be able to play football is the team in, in really north norway called alter they actually play indoors they have a roof on the, on the stadium <laughs> that's the only other way you'd be able to play in like tromso and uh, right. and, and glint so yeah uh, it, it's good to hear that you've you've said it's a good surface because some of the surface the artificial stuff here in scotland it's very dry it, you know it doesn't make for good football and it, and it kind of mm slows down Celtic's kind of free-flowing, you know, play. At Celtic Park, obviously, it's, you know, it's a huge, big grass park and it's often watered before the games to allow for that slick and fast passing. So, hopefully, it's a good surface um, in the Aspamira and Celtic can can play the, the way they usually do. I think I think it'll be two good games between two sides of the line to play good football. The only problem will be if, if the weather, you know, if it's snowing at the time and, you mm. know, the tractor's on standby and stuff. But, uh, I mean, before you go, I'll have to ask you for a prediction you know, over the, over the uh, first of the first leg and then overall. Yeah, it, it'd be hard to call it, you know, in terms of the individual games. What I would say is at the moment, Celtic are in very, very good form. So we've had, I need to check, I think we've had seven games since we came back from the winter break uh, and we're, we're 100% record. You know, we're winning games of football consistently uh, at this moment in time, particularly at home at Celtic Park. Tra traditionally, it has been a fortress. We've let that slip in the last couple of years, but Angie's getting it back to that kind of way. What I do think, my, my, you know, without putting a number on it, my genuine prediction would be that Celtic really go for it in the first leg and look to to secure the tie before the maybe the unpredictability of an away fixture on a, a plastic surface. So I think Celtic, and I'm also mindful, you know, showing respect for Bodo, a team that I don't know a great deal about. But as I'd mentioned to yourself before we came on air, I do know they've lost a few key players uh, in that window. One of them was actually, or two of them have actually came to Hibernian here in Scotland. I think a striker is it Eric Botham has gone to Krasnodar. Mm. Uh, another fella is it the captain Patrick Berg? He's Patrick gone to Berg left, yeah, yeah. So they've lost some key players there, and that might be hard to cope with. They've also not played competitively since their season ended in December. They could all be things that go in our favour, and I think Celtic could catch them on the hop on that first leg on the Thursday night coming. Yeah, I would say over the two legs, I would say I would uh, give an edge to Celtic a little bit. Yeah. I think it'd be two good, two good games and. Um... I think it's, it's definitely something to look forward to. Yeah, and that's good to hear from you, Steve, because you know far more about Norwegian football and uh, Nordic football than we do. So encouraged to hear that you think that it might might just go in Celtic's favour. Uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, your, your podcast, the, the Celtic Exchange. Where can we find you? Yeah, definitely. So the Celtic Exchange podcast, so we're at theceltichexchange.com. You'll find us on the you know the usual platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google. We're also on YouTube as well. We've recently started recording what we do, so anyone can check us out there at the Celtic Exchange. We, st we started our podcast at quite a unique time, so we're just a bit more than a year old now. We started back in December 2020, 
And our very first recording was in the night that Celtic secured the the quadruple treble. So, you know, as the words indicate, four trebles in a row, which is quite incredible. An interesting time to start a Celtic podcast. And, you know, ultimately we failed last season as a club. You know, lots of, look, we've made lots of poor decisions. We also had a few things that, you know, luck-wise didn't go for us. But over the piece, you know, Celtic got it wrong last year and a lot of fans were pretty despondent and pretty down about it, you know, ourselves included. However, you know, we've you know, made some astute moves in the summer. Ange Postacoglu being the absolute key to everything. He's been a, a real revelation, a real breath of fresh air. Such a charismatic guy, such an exciting manager. And I think Celtic fans are just very hopeful as to what this team, you know, will bring under Ange. We're seeing a lot of it just now, but by all accounts, Ange's team's really come into their own in the second season under him. So hopefully we've got a lot more to look forward to in the, the months and years ahead. Yeah, it certainly sounds like you've done really well in, in the space of a year, you know, over 4,000 followers on Twitter. I do like your um, your logo, by the way. That's mm-hmm. beautiful. Uh, really nice one there. So, yeah, do, do check them out, anyone, any listeners here, at Celt Exchange. Check out their podcast. I'm sure there'll be some talk about Buddha Glimpse on there in, in forthcoming shows, uh, match reviews um, that you guys do. So, yeah. And thanks once again, Tino, from the Celtic Exchange podcast. Really appreciate your time uh, on the Nordic Football Podcast. You're very welcome, Stephen. Great to chat to you. Cheers. That was Tino from the Celtic Exchange podcast. Thanks once again for his time. And it was really interesting to get a view on the current Celtic situation. They, they sound in good form. It sounds like it's going to be a difficult challenge for Buda Glimt. But now it's time to actually look into the Norwegian outfit. And of course, we've talked about Chetil Knutsen's uh, side um, several times on the Nordic Football Podcast uh, over the last few years. Um, you know, not an episode goes by without them being mentioned. So I was thinking, how can we sort of have a, a maybe slightly different angle this time? And my next guest, uh, Chris Hilliam, uh, is a, an analyst, very strong into his stats and things like that. So Basically, I got him on board. Uh, I wanted to really find out exactly how much they're going to miss key players like Björkan, Berg, etc. And whether certain replacements can come in and make an immediate difference. And, you know, we're looking at this from a statistical point of view as well. Um, but, yeah, my next guest, Chris Hilliam. And we have a really good chat over sort of the Buddha glimpse to what they've been up to the last couple of months and looking ahead towards this uh, Celtic tie. I'm delighted to be joined by a special guest for this episode of the Nordic Football Podcast, Chris Hilliam, a recruitment analyst scout with a current focus on elite Assyrian and a friend of the podcast. Chris, thanks very much for, for coming on. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Steve. Hope you are too. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Yeah, I've um, I've obviously been following you for a fair bit now and, uh, you know, it's been great to see you interacting with uh, myself and the podcast and everything and you know, there really is a good time to be to be interested in in Scandinavian football uh, as a whole. What 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 sort of got you into Elite Serien in the first place? Would you say? Um, it all started when I, I started writing for an online publication um, from the, the summer of twenty twenty. Now I've always been interested in analysis and statistics, going back to sort of playing Championship Manager football manager as a kid, um, and then during the lockdown reduced working hours the sort of misses encouraged me to to go into it a bit more and the sort of there was a, a vacancy for a, a writer on Norwegian football on, on the publication I wrote for it was well the the sort of vacancy was for Scandinavia in general but that was the time when Bordeaux glimpse was sort of really into the peak and were catching people's eye around the world and it was the first couple of Reports I did there were on Patrick Berg and on a couple of glimpse games and sort of just got into it from there and followed it ever since and grown more and more interested in it and the players and the young talent there. Yeah, I mean, it's a great time to be sort of getting involved really um, in, in, in Norwegian football and Buda Glimp, they have caught the you know caught Europe by storm really, almost a worldwide sensation when, when they, you know, won the league. And, and back to it with the second uh, league title. This section, we are going to be focusing on Buda Glimt. Obviously, the match against Celtic, doubleheader coming up very soon. It's quite an exciting fixture. And we're just basically going to talk about Buda Glimt's off-season so far. And, you know, we're going to be doing, uh, you know, talking a bit, a bit statistics and things like that, because that's a strong area for you, Chris. 
Um, the transfers in and out of the club, and this is nothing new for them. They had to cope with several departures when they won their first league title, and it's the same again here. I'm just going to list through them here. Uh, Arik Botheim, he moved to Krasnodar in uh, Russia. Five million euros was the reported fee there. Patrick Berg to Lens in uh, France, uh, four and a half million euros. Uh, they've lost Frederick Andre Bierkan and Marius Luda to uh, Hertha Berlin and Schalke. Um, those are the most significant departures. There's a few others as well. Runa Horger, for example, moving to Hibs in uh, Scotland. And Hibs also snapped up uh, Melkerson for nearly half a million euros. So four departures, four significant departures, let's call them. Um, so far, the main arrivals, uh, Bryce Wembangomo from Sandefjord, Runa Espiord from Heerenveen, uh, Jaffet Seri Larsen from Bran, and uh, Gota Hoberg Vetti from uh, Sarsborg. There's, uh, again, two th- uh, also some returning low knees, Isaac Amundsen, who had a year at uh, Tromso, probably the most uh, notable there. So, ins and outs. I mean, let's talk about the departures first, Chris. Of those four names I mentioned, which one of those players do you feel they are going to miss the most? Um, it'd definitely be a toss-up between Björker and Berg. I think the one they'll miss the most in terms of being the hardest to replace would probably be Björker. Um, if we look at some of his stats that he's produced last year, um, defensive duels, he was 75.41% success rate, which was much better than all the other left-backs in the league. It was over nine progressive passes per 90, again, with a very high success rate of 83%. Also ran the ball progressively, 5.6 per 90, and successful attacking actions. He, he was top of the class for left-backs from that as well. Essentially, what, what those stats show there, I think, is that it was excellent in, in all thirds of the pitch, so sort of the defensive third with his duels, in the middle third with progressing the ball, and then in the attacking third, um, he was ranked high for assists as well, and sort of areas of his game that can't be measured quite so well on stats were just his, his combinations, his exchanges with his midfield players, with Ulrich Saltness, who generally plays as the left-sided central midfielder, and with Pellegrino, especially in the second half of the season, who was generally the left winger or the inside forward as such. So I think he's probably the hardest to replace. They, they've brought in Bryce Wembangamo, haven't they? He's um, generally a right-sided fullback. I've not actually seen him play left-back until the friendlies Budo Glimt have played in the last couple of weeks in Spain. So I'm, I'm intrigued by how he fits there and if he is the long-term answer. Yeah, I think I would agree with you. I think Björkan is going to be the hardest to replace, like for like. Um, he's obviously a left-back. Uh, Buda Glimp playing in this 4-3-3 system. They always have done under Jesse Lundsen. That's not going to change. And I've heard Björkan's role described sometimes as almost um, an inverted fullback on occasion because of the underlap runs that he has made and things like that. But it's a staggering how many categories he won in terms of statistics compared to other players in his position in uh, in the 2021 elite Serien. so he, he he's obviously a player that's going to be extremely difficult to replace and i think the general you know consensus and presumption was they would just look for someone of a similar ilk um you know left-footed um who's well suited to that role but instead they've kind of gone a bit left field here no pun intended, that um, Bryce Wembangomo, who statistically, there's some a lot of positive things to say about him, um, especially as involved at a Sanderfield team who, well, they overachieved last season, but it wasn't exactly, you know, he's not exactly in a brilliant side. Um, but significantly for Wembangomo, he's a right back. He's, I've never seen him play outside of that position either, really, sometimes right midfield. Um yeah, there's no doubt he can he can certainly fill in there if needed, but it, it seems like they're going to convert him into this left back. And you know, I saw in an interview in, in January he did with with their own website, he said he's anticipating a really hard few months of training, not just in terms of the intensity but also adaptation. And um, I mean, it, how do you feel about this? They're bringing in basically a right footer at left back um, who's not really 
played much in that role. Can he be converted, do you think? I mean, the coaching is very good at Budaglin. Yeah, I watched um, Budaglin, as I said, I played a couple of friendlies on a, a training camp in Spain. Um, he played 75 minutes there against uh, the Danish team, AGF, um, a couple of days ago. And I was 50-50 on him. There was a lot of good things that I did. I think what helps defensively with him being on that side would be that a lot of wide players now do generally play as inside forwards or inverted wingers. So it would naturally still be defended on his right side if up against that sort of player. Um, his 1v1 defending is always good. He's, he suits Bodo Glimp style player in terms of his physical attributes. He, he's quite strong. He, he's quick. He's got good acceleration, which obviously helps in sort of pressing on the halfway line, which he will be asked to do as a fullback. There was a couple of times when it was easy to telegraph what he was going to do with the ball, especially when passing it, because it was it was very right-footed playing from that left side. So it was always opening his body up and it was it was obvious where he was going to pass to. The pass was usually going to the left-hand side in centre-back or into Elias Hagen, who was playing as the, the deepest line midfield player. So I wasn't, I just wasn't too sure, obviously, isn't, isn't, as far as I can tell, he never played there for Sandefjord. Um, so having played 45 minutes there against Dean Markiev in a friendly and then the 75 minutes there is the only time he's played there. So you, you would expect him to improve. It carried the ball well from that area. Again, it was it was sort of all inward rather than down the line. But as you mentioned, Steve, Bjorkham was generally described as, a, as an inverted fullback win back as well, which you can obviously see would suit playing a right for a, a left back. The slight issue I've got with that is if he's playing, you'd expect mostly with Pellegrino as, as the left winger, who he generally does play as an inside forward, he's, he's a right-footed player, and you're just a bit worried if Wembangomo is constantly underlapping rather than offering that overlap option, he can sometimes just end up with Pellegrino sort of running into a bit of a crowded area rather than Wembangomo having the opportunity to go on, on the overlap and drag a player out of the way i think in the sort of the second half from half time so so half an hour when when Magomo was still on the pitch he played there with Solbakken went onto the left side who is a left-footed player and i think that as a partnership worked a little bit better than when Magomo then did have sort of the option either to just hang back and let Solbakken stay one-on-one -on -one, or to give that underlapping option just to draw defenders away so interesting to see how that pans out but as you say, the coaching is very good. They obviously see something in him that suggests he can play that role. If we just have a have a look at, at his stats, they're, they're quite comparative to Bjorkans, in fairness. Um, contested more defensive duels than Bjorkans, which you'd expect because he was playing for a team who does more defending in Sandefjord. Success rate, not as good, but for a fullback, Bjorkans' defensive success rate was, was out of this world, really. Progressive passes, Wembangoma actually more, again, nowhere near the success rate, but you could argue that's um, tactical and, and the strength of the players at Sandy if you're not giving him quite so good options as he's likely to receive at Budo Glimt. Um, he ran the ball progressively at a similar level and remarkably for a team so towards the bottom of the league in Sandy Fjord, he returned 10.39 successful attacking actions per 90, which is almost double, actually, what Bjorkan produced. And that sort of them stats there, it was top amongst elite Serian right backs for the progressive runs and for the successful attacking action. So you can certainly see how it fits. I think in terms of technical and physical, it, it definitely fits well. The argument will probably be whether it fits it tactically. Yeah, he's, he's, I was looking at some of these stats and um, you know, certainly like offensive duels, dribbles, um, things like that. He's only second to Bjorkan last season, uh, which is quite impressive in the Sandefjord side. So I think he does stack up statistically. I can see certainly in that respect why they've decided to go for him. And I suppose he does offer excellent cover at right back as well, should anything happen to Samstead. I mean, I do, I am worried for them if, if Wembangomo goes down, you know, he's coming off a, a season and played with injury actually. Um, you know, it might just be, you know, he's fully recovered from that now, but, uh, I really am intrigued whether long term they see him sort of, you know, is he going to be like the right back starter long term? 
and they're going to eventually bring in more of a natural left back, or you know, he is just, they're just literally putting all their eggs into this left back basket with the uh, Wan Mangoma. It's I think time will tell, but there are there's still I think there's room to be optimistic, isn't there, for for Glimp fans for for Wan Mangoma for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it was largely positive what I've seen from him in, in those friendlies. Um, just to add to your point about his injury record, um, it did look to be sort of rather legless. Um, the last sort of bit I watched him do was a, a spot of defending on the touchline and he was struggling, he sort of did well in the first phase and then was struggling to catch up for the second phase. Obviously, Budo Glimp played at an incredibly high intensity, so as well as the tactical coach, you know, he'll need to play in that position. He, Probably going to need to come on physically as well, to if, if he is to play there week in week out. And and as you mentioned, Steve, the the options at left back apart from him look rather thin unless they plan on bringing somebody in. And they got him in rather early. It was only a couple of days into the transfer window, so so they clearly highlighted him rather early on and, and brought him in as soon, as soon as they could. So I think they've got full faith in him playing that role. And if Geto Nutson and, and the team there have got full faith in him, then. I'm certainly on board with that myself. Let's stay in defence because another departure uh, is Marius Luda to Schalke. Again, they, they, on a free transfer, sadly they didn't get any money for him here. And I feel like this is a transfer that's gone under the radar. I, really not many people have been talking about it. But Budaglin did have the best defence in, in Norway by uh, quite some margin last season. And you know, Luda's been fairly... Solid for them. Um, I, I think he had a better 2020 than 2021, I will be honest. But um, yeah, this is a, a guy that was, well, he had a, a period in the first half of last season where he uh, he went down injured a bit, uh, but he was back fully strongly for the second part of the season during the unbeaten run. And I felt that they, we, we, the, the, a lot of the matches that he missed was when results started to go a little bit pear-shaped last season. So, Although it must be mentioned that Breda uh, Mu also um, did miss time around that as well, so it wasn't ideal. Now, Luda, in terms of... We're, basically, they're looking for another centre-back. They're looking for another centre-back to partner um, Breda Mu. And, you know, it, internally, they've got the likes of Marius Herbratton, but the, the general consensus is he is really just a great bench option but as a regular starter maybe not they've got some youngsters like Sigurd Kavir returning Lerny and, and Munson and they've recently signed Jaffet Seri Larson from Bran and it, it looks like he probably will be the guy that, that slots in is is losing Luda a big problem for Glimt or is this one they can solve fairly easily he's a guy I agree with you I think he was better in, in 2020 but yeah there, there was a the results did dip when he was out last year, which which probably shows his influence on the team. I think he's one of these where, and Buda Clint have got used to it over the past couple of years, where there's a potential to just seamlessly replace him for as good as he has been. Um, there are plenty of options there. Um, Hoy Brighton generally plays as many games as, as Luda and, and Mo have, just for the whenever they're missing through suspension injuries always there and he is that solid third centre back option where if, if one of them's out you can rely on him to play um and Munson um to the eye I, I was quite impressed from what I saw of him at Tromsø last year but looking at the data side he, and you've got to sort of look at Tromsø playing a different style to Budo Clint but what he did in terms of his ball progression was just not at the level um of the board of glimpse centre backs. If you look at the stats, they're absolutely crazy for Luda, Mo, and Hoy Brighton in the in the way they progress the ball, which is definitely a style point, but also you have to be comfortable doing it and you have to be accurate at doing it as well. Amundsen didn't really strike me as as offering that. Um, I think Jeff at Seri Larson's a smart signing. Didn't play sort of enough minutes for Brand last year to, to get a really good sample size of his statistics, but from what I've seen of him and going purely off the eye, I think I think he's got the potential to be a really good young centre back. I think he's comfortable carrying the ball, he's comfortable passing the ball. Um he reads the game well defensively and he's probably similar-ish to Luda. And I think he will be the first choice to mm. partner Mu. And then as I say we've got High Brighton and Sigurd Kvili was was fairly impressive in, in the small minutes he got last season as well. So 
I do think um, Lewis is probably one of them who can be seamlessly replaced without wanting to understate the influence he's had on the team the last couple of years. Yeah, I feel like that Jaffa Terry Larson will be the guy who comes in and, and takes the second centre-back position. Again, someone else who, who had some injuries last season, so it might be another one where it just takes him a little bit of time to get into the, the fitness side of things at Buda Glimpse. Regarding Amundsen, what concerned me was in the back end of last season when Tromso had a really good run of results, he, he wasn't in the team. They put him to the bench for like most of the last 10 games and for me, that sends a little bit of warning signs. It might not just be because of that. It might be because they're thinking of the future they want, you know, and also because, let's be honest, he was a Buda Glimp guy on loan at Tromso, which, I, I, yeah, that was, I felt that was a little bit of a weird one and anyway, you know, two massive rivals who hate each other um, taking someone there. So, look, I don't know exactly why, but it did, it certainly caught my eye that Amundsen was bench-rested for, for when they had that really good run, when they were better defensively. So, but he, I'm sure he's come on from that season on loan anyway. Um, and uh, it's going to be... I, I don't think it's a huge loss, um, you know, Luda. I think it's its one of those where they they probably, at the start of the season, might be more vulnerable. Um, you know, Celtic, for example, I'm sure they'll be looking at them defensively and thinking, yeah, let's try and take advantage while they're getting new players in at the back. But by the start of the Elitarian and, and, you know, the first few rounds, you would think they've, they've got things settled down, right, Chris? Yeah, I would think so. I think just pointing on the on the Celtic match, I imagine they'd probably go with High Brighton and Moo. Um just for the familiarity aspect in such a tough game and a big game for the club as well. And I'd imagine they'd go that way, but Nutson's not necessarily the type to to do what's expected. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's an incredibly good coach and you'd have to trust him if he decides that Jeff at Seri Larson or Amundsen or even Kvili at the right choice, then you'd absolutely not argue with him. Now, if you talk about Buda Glimpse in the last two years, the one player who always gets mentioned is Patrick Burke. Now, he's been finally sold this winter to Lons in, in France, four and a half million euros reportedly. I mean, first of all, what, what are your thoughts on that transfer fee? Do you think uh, Lons have got themselves a really good bargain there or is it a fair price? Uh, probably a fair price um, in terms of the fees you get coming out of the Elite area. And I think you mentioned um, Botheim's transfer fee at the start of the show. Um, and that's probably too high given he's only done it for one season. There's that sort of the Roma factor from when he got the goals in that 6 1 game. I've probably, probably a fair price for Berg. I mean, if he produced what I had. For Buda Glimp, for Lons, you'd probably be looking at 10 million, wouldn't you? Be mm. at least double just from the market you're signing him from. But I don't think you could have expected them to get any more money from that, even though in general terms, it probably is worth more than that. Yeah, I think it was a. I mean, it was a, I, I get why they're getting him. Completely different system there at Lons, by the way, for those who are interested. 3 4 3 they, they play. So. Uh, he made his first uh, his starting debut for them against Lorient the weekend when they lost. So uh, it'll be interesting to follow his progress at uh, Lons. But in terms of Buda Glimp, now this is a player that I looked at his numbers in the last couple of years, and they don't always kind of always state how important he is to, to the team. I I think I agree with you that Berg probably is, is the position that is going to be difficult to replace. But it is worth noting, for example, they went to, to Rome and got a two-all draw without him. And it, it seems like Elias Hagen is going to be the lad to replace him. And we see, we saw signs in the last two years that when he did step into the team, he, he was ready. You know, this is someone that's been within their own setup for quite a long time now. And, you know, it's just it's almost like next man off the conveyor belt with, with, with Hagen. Um, and I guess the, I mean, look, you can't just immediately fill Patrick Berg's boots, but do you think he can go at least some way to doing it, and by the end of the season, be become quite well one of the the strong players in the in the entire league? I think so. Yeah, um, I certainly hope so. I, I like him. Whenever I've seen him, I like him. Um, he's, he's taller than Berg, um, so which obviously helps in the aerial dual sort of aspects of his game. I think in terms of the other numbers he's put forward in his obviously reasonably limited minutes because Berg 
do generally play whenever available, but the numbers are comparable. You mentioned about Berg's numbers. He plays in a position where it's more to the eye when you see how good he is than the numbers he picks mm. up. But he still posted some strong numbers last season. He, he was top for defensive duels one amongst sort of other central midfield, deep playing midfield players in, in the league. And he was top for pass volume and for the accuracy of long passes, which didn't necessarily play a lot of, but when the opportunity was there, he was accurate with them. 78% success rate for his progressive and his forward passing. And it was essentially in the top 30%, mostly 20 and 15% for every measurable stat amongst sort of players in his area. And if we look at Hagen, he was comparable in them defensive duels, so not far off. And as I said, Berg was top for them. His passing accuracy is actually slightly better than Berg's, albeit from, from a less sample size. So it's possible once he starts playing week in, week out, that could go down slightly. However, from the games he's played so far, there was a comparable passing volume. To the eye, he looks very good technically and very good tactically, I think. As you say, he's, he's the next man off the conveyor belt, almost as if he's been groomed to, to replace Berg, knowing that, I mean, you'd have expected Berg might have been gone this time last year. They've managed to hold on to him for another year. And that's given Hagen sort of another year just to, just to learn the role. I think he's seemingly got all the tools to fill what are admitted the big shoes. I think, yeah, by the end of the season, it, it, it could be a case of they're not necessarily missing Berg all that much and, and Hagen's proving he can do the job just as well. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think he's definitely one to watch to keep an eye on this season. A lot of people will never have heard of him. Elias Christopherson, uh, Hagen, but basically almost a like-for-like Patrick Berg replacement. So, but again, you know, early in the season, it might be the time he's a little bit more vulnerable. But I've seen this guy step up in big games before. Um, you know, Olympico is an example. I think he had a really good game against Mulder um, a year or two ago as well. Um, he, he certainly is very promising for that area. And they do have midfield depth, the Budaglib, not necessarily in terms of that particular role, but you've got likes of Conradson, new signer from Salzburg, Vetti, um, of course, Ulrich Saltners can, can play that type of role as well. It's, it's it's still a very strong area, isn't it? This Budaglim midfield trio where you've got sort of this more of a holding midfielder in, in Hagen's role and then two, two midfield runners alongside him. It's a, a really the power horse of their engine. Yeah, definitely. I think um, Sandra Fett was was the, the one you failed to mention there. And he'd generally be the, the right-sided one or, or Vett lesson. Yeah, the, the tactically, every single part knows what they're doing and, and Hagen will, will have learned that. Um, and it, if they are a little bit vulnerable, it'll just be him not being used to playing week in, week out, I think, in terms of him knowing what's required technically and, and tactically. He'll have that absolutely spot on. We, we sort of sometimes perhaps lazily label it as a holding midfield player, but the way Budo Glimp play um, and sort of, didn't necessarily press quite so high and quite so intensely last year as they did the previous year, almost as if they're so well coached to learn how to play what was described as kamikaze football, to learn how to play with a bit more control last year. Um, obviously, having lost so many goals, get on nuts and almost ask them to play the same way, but with a little bit more control, which can be seen in the fact that they scored less goals but conceded less last season as well. Um, but the starting position is high from Hagen, sort of out of possession. And, and in possession, he won't necessarily drop between the centre-backs. He'll, he'll sit deeper than the midfield players almost along the plane of the full-backs and, and collect there. And essentially what he will do and what Berg did is he just creates triangles all around the pitch. So there'll be triangles with centre-backs and full-back, then with full-back and the, the left-sided or the right-sided of the, the two central midfield players ahead of him. And again, further up the pitch, it'll be doing likewise with the midfield or the strikers with the, with the wide players. So, And then when they do lose the ball, he will sort of stay almost on the line of the final third, so sort of 30 yards out, and he'll look to dictate the press from there and, and then sit back and, and look to drop deeper out of possession if, if the team, the opposition, retains it a bit longer. Yeah, I'm honestly um, quite confident about Budiglint in, in the midfield areas this year. I think it's probably their strongest department um, in terms of quality and also depth. 
and um, I don't really Berg obviously is Patrick Berg, but I feel like they can certainly cope without him um, and, and do fine in that area. But uh, you know they've lost they've lost their the starting left back, they've lost the starting centre back, start, starting D mid, and the final key position they've lost is uh, their starting striker, top scorer Eric Bottheim. He scored 15 goals in the league last season. Um, now I remember going into last at the start of 2021. Casper Juncker, 27 goalman. Casper Juncker had departed the club, and there was a lot of concern saying, "Oh, Bottheim coming in." That's a bit of a weird signing because he had never really historically had—I don't think he'd scored more than three goals in a season before. And um, yeah, I think he's another one. He had a few injury concerns heading into the club, uh, but he actually started every single Elite Serie match, uh, scored 15 goals there, contributed in the cups and the um, Europa League as well. Now you often see some tweets go around, don't you? Saying that if I was in the if I was the striker for Buda Glimt, I would back myself to score, you know, a dozen goals a season. Is, is it really as simple as that? Do you think? I mean, Botheim is five million euros is fantastic business. I think I, I would have. I don't think he's worth much more than one or two. But uh, is it really as simple as that? If you, you literally stick anyone up front for them, will score goals, or will Botheim be more missed more than, than people expect? I think of the, the four major departures, it probably will turn out to be the easiest to replace. I think putting it as simply as stick either me or yourself up front, we, we probably won't get 15 goals in the league. Um, but they will create chances for us playing up there. I think more important aspect of playing up there because any, any striker who, who can finish, which we do have uh, Victor Boniface, who's been plagued by injuries, a young player, a Buddha glimpse, who sort of looked like he was going to be a big star at the end of the 2020 season when he was he's coming off the bench and scoring goals and, and he thought they possibly had the replacement for Juncker there and then was plagued by injury again last season. He's started up front in the two friendly so far and he got a goal against Dinamo Kiev. And with Espiard, who, despite not scoring for Tromso last year, I've had a look through his numbers sort of in 2018 and 2019 when he played in Elite Assyrian before he moved to Heruvin. And he was finishing that sort of on his XG. So he's, he's clearly a, a capable finisher and he is going to get the chances. So you would fancy that he's capable of matching Botheim's sort of goal scoring record. I think if we look at some of Botheim's numbers, it Quite a few of these are more style points, just um, the way Buddha Glimp asked their striker to play and, and the strength of the team comparative to those in the rest of the division. He received over 12 passes per 90 and uh, 4.02 touches in the box per 90. So he's, he's getting the ball in good areas. They're asking him to receive sometimes to hold up. Um, they're a very vertical side, Buddha Glimp, the will to get the ball forward off as quick as they can without being long. So I think off the ball, he's probably more important. Um, sort of competing off the ball, Bottheim only won 30% of his offensive duels. I think Espiard's a, a bit of a warrior up there. You'd expect him to, to be winning more than that. And tactically, he's probably the most important in terms of with the ball and without the ball. With the ball, it'll be getting into those right areas and knowing when to link up, when to drop deep, when to just be that sort of target man poacher type striker and, and off the ball, obviously leading the press. As, as I mentioned earlier, they didn't press quite so intensely as, as they did in the 2020 season. And certainly if we're looking forward to the Celtic game, I imagine it's not going to be quite as intense as we've seen them at the best or at the most intense. I think once he gets used to that, it, it can certainly prove an adequate, if not better, replacement for Bottheim. He's a good age as well, SBR. He, he seems a bit old. He's been around a while and it, it arguably looks a little bit older, but he's still 25, so that's a really good age for a Budogan player. And, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to matter much. If Boniface stays fit and they've got SBR as well, they've got more than enough to to adequately replace Bottheim as far as I'm concerned there. Do you think you know, they're bringing in... Um... SPR here, Boniface is obviously coming back from injury. They, they we've got to mention SPR's injury past, um, which is not great. I have to say, I've always rated Runa SPR, by the way. Um, I've said this several times over the years on the Nordic Football Podcast. Great finisher, 
uh, got a bit of class about him. He certainly got more class about him than than Botheim, and and you could uh, probably more than Junker as well. Actually, you just tell by someone when you watch them that they, they've got a bit of quality. But he just he can't stay fit. He never has been able to stay fit. And Buda Glimp's setup is obviously they get their players really well conditioned. Hopefully, they can get on top of them. But do you feel like they've they kind of factored that in by having options this this year, you know, Boniface or, um, you know, Espiord or even someone like uh, Pellegrino, Nordas, um, even, you know. So, um, what do you think? Is sort of they've, they've got these uh, sort of plans in place in case things go wrong. Possibly, yeah. I suppose you're just hoping for for one of Espiord or, or Boniface to be to be fit at, at any one time. The Option to play Pellegrino up there intrigues me just from um, sort of what I was touching on with when Bangamo playing there as, as the inverted man and, and whether that sort of takes some of the space away on the inside for Pellegrino. If, if he plays up front and, and Solbach and plays on the left hand side, that perhaps sort of improves what when Bangamo can, can add to the team as well. I, f- I feel that's probably the last resort and they will be banking on at least one of Boniface and Espiard being fit any one time. Nordas not played an awful lot of minutes. I can't say I've seen enough of him to pass judgment on him. Um, imagine the club sort of feel quite strongly on him as well to to still have him around. They probably feel like they have enough. It'll, it'll be put to the test. Uh, Boniface is it's two ACLs, isn't it? That he's had. In, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's seemingly still sort of has the ability, but. Can you ever truly get over something like that? It's it's the niggles that that come, not necessarily in the knee, but but after that, isn't it? When you, you sort of your body's not as strong as it once were, and it's a shame because he's an incredibly talented prospect. If he can stay fit this season, he he'd have an argument to be the first choice centre forward. I think. I think yeah. they've got a they've Probably. got to watch his minutes, haven't they? Because you're right about do you ever truly recover from that? I mean, I know as, there's a player at FC Metz in France. Matteo Udol, 25 years old now, and he's done his ACL in four times now, and he got injured again this season from it. It's it's a shame because he's a really talented player, but the you know I think they've really got to manage his minutes. But you know he's still young, I suppose. So you know it is easier to re- recover then. Just I want to ask you a question about the SPO signing. Uh, forgetting the injuries here, he's moving from effectively you know, here in V, but his history is at Tromso. Uh, you know, he grew up there in the academy. You know, his heart's in that city. These two sides are, are massive rivals. It's a little bit of a controversial signing. It's almost a bit like, let's put it in, in sort of more lo- local terms around our neck of the woods. It's like Calvin Phillips moving to Man United. And <laughs> do, you, do you feel this sort of thing? It, it can work, can't it? But at the same time, it, if it doesn't, if he starts to, you know, produce performances that are a little bit below expectations, the fans might get on his back a bit. Um, possibly, yeah. I know that the Tromso fans that I've sort of seen on, on social media are pretty distraught about it. Yeah. Um, some are upset, some are angry, some are a, a combination of the two. Um, I'm not sure on whether they would get on his back a little bit. I think, as with Boniface, they, they might just have to manage his minutes, and it might be easy enough to take him out of the firing line if, if it doesn't start well for him and, and play Boniface if they both stay fit. Without knowing too many Budoglimp fans well, or, or the kind, of, I wouldn't necessarily be able to judge how quickly they would turn on a player like that. I think to, to use your analogy, obviously Alan Smith did move from from Leeds to Man United, and and he started well there until he got the the terrible injury, and and they loved him. And I think you've sort of got that feeling where if he starts well, they'll almost love him even more because of where he's come from. So he, he could work the other way. He could mm. sort of get that real boost. A sort of giving the Buda Glimp fans a little chance to burst, sort of our we're bigger than you, we're better than you, sort of to, to Tromsø, and whether that might have a positive impact on him, I don't know. Yeah, these are difficult times for Tromsø fans, I must say. Um, you know, it really is uh, hard for them, but that's the situation they're in at the moment. So let's just talk briefly about this Celtic matchup coming because. Um, you know, it's it's important that uh, I mean, Buda Glimt, Let's be honest. The results that have really opened people's eyes are against Roma. They beat Roma, Roma six one, and they drew two all against them in Rome. And 
I think it would be a great story if they were to have some sort of decent run in this competition and get even more eyes on them. There's going to be plenty of eyes on this Celtic tie, and I think, yeah, I'll be honest, my personal prediction: if this had happened, say in in December last year, I think Budaglint would have would have got through Celtic over two legs. But it comes at an awkward time of the year. I don't really, I haven't seen much of Celtic recently, but I've, from what I've heard, that they are playing a lot better football than they were doing. And this is going to be an intriguing tie. It looks like they're a flat back four under their their new manager as well. So, intriguing sort of matchup. What what sort of uh, games are you expecting over the two legs, do you think, Chris? I'm looking forward to it. I think it's two very well caught sides. Um, I've not watched a great deal of Celtic. I did watch the the first half of the old firm and then a little bit of the second half and sort of having seen bits and red bits it's two very well coached sides they, they play quite a similar fashion um they're both quite vertical they're, they're direct without being long they'll look to get the ball forward they, they attack at pace uh, they're quick direct they're energetic in transition i think both teams dominate possession not necessarily because that's how they want to control the game, but because of, of the strength of the team, opposition will just let them have the ball, but it's not possession for possession's sake. They are always looking to do something with it. It's an intriguing tie, I think, if Buda Glimp can keep it to perhaps a one-goal deficit in the first leg and take it back to... Uh, I don't think any team is going to relish a trip to North Norway, especially at this time of year. So just a one-goal deficit, I think, gives them a chance. The way Celtic attack with with such pace, uh, certainly in the match against Rangers, they looked like they were going to score every time they went forward for periods in the first half. If they do score early and pick up that second, it, it could end up being a long tie for Budo Glimp. We know Budo Glimp have got the capability to do that themselves. It's, I'm intrigued as to how it's going to pan out, whether Budo Glimp will let Celtic dominate possession. They, they very rarely change from the style that they didn't when they played Milan in 2020, they didn't want to play Roma. Just with the players they've lost, they've been true. Just not necessarily be passive, but just show a bit of respect if, if that's the right way mm. of saying it. I've, I'm certainly expecting an intriguing contest. It, it could be one where uh, the managers really enjoy it win, lose, or draw, just the tactical battle. And, and if either of them can find an edge that sort of turns it, turns it their way with it being roughly similar styles. I'm going to have to ask you for a, predi for a prediction um, over the two legs. Who's going to make it through? I think Celtic go through by a goal. Oof, by a goal. Yeah, I think they probably win. Probably win the first leg by two, and, and Bruno Glimp come back with a with just a one sort of goal margin victory in the in the second leg, and just just fall short. Yeah, I would lean Celtic myself at this point in time. I lean them slightly as well but it's all about that first leg i think they've got to stay within within touching distance of, of celtic at uh, celtic park there but uh well anyway chris well, thanks very much for for coming on on the podcast we'll have you again on at some point during the season for sure if you're interested and we can talk about stats and stuff and uh, uh and uh, i think we were talking once potentially about even uh, some of the the newly promoted sides and some players that are coming into the league that people might not know a lot about so uh, that's something maybe to look forward to but really appreciate you coming on the show yeah that's great thanks, thanks for having me I've, I've really enjoyed it and uh, yeah I'd love to come on again if that's a possibility and where can we follow you Chris where can people find you I'm at footy and Ali Chris um, and Chris is with, with a K um, sort of the, the Scandinavian spelling funnily enough yeah, I'll uh, yeah at Footy and Ali Chris we will uh, I'll make sure I'll put that down on the episode description for you to follow um, on Twitter there. So, yeah, do give this account a follow. It's some really good stuff on Chris's account. Um, if you're into your graphs and your stats and things like that and uh, the occasional thing on Leeds United, then uh, this is the that's a great account to follow. So, uh, yeah, well, thanks once again, Chris Hilliam on Nordic Football Podcast. And I'm sure we'll catch up with you again uh, at some point during the season, Chris. Take care. Cheers, Steve. Thank you. Okay, well, that rounds things off for this episode. We certainly look forward to that first leg on Thursday at Celtic Park. And next week, I'll be back with my good pal, Jonathan Fadugba. I'm sure we will dissect that match from Scotland and talk about a bunch of other stuff. There's been several transfers over the uh, 
the winter window and you know the start of the Elitisarian and our Svenskan is well, what six weeks away now something like that so plenty to talk about um, remember to follow the podcast on Twitter if you're not already at Nordic Footpod you can follow myself at Meatman Soccer Jonathan as well at JF Football and do remember to check out the uh, guests that we had on the show Chris Hilliam and the Celtic Exchange but that's it for this one stay safe everyone take care and we'll see you around again very soon goodbye